Thank you, Jay, Libby, Nick, and Zach, and thank you for coming this afternoon. As we were waiting for you to arrive, I was sitting here alone in the worship center, thinking of just what Christ has done for me. I tried to do that on Good Friday. Think of the time when Christ hung on the cross for me. We call it Good Friday. Good for us, but it wasn't good for him. And so I just want to read a a couple of portions of Scripture today to remind us of part of what he went through as he purchased our redemption and as we remember just how personal it was. It was for me. If I had been the only one who had needed salvation, he would have done it for me, and he did do it for me. It was that personal when he was on the cross. He was taking my place. Scripture says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and 
Pilate said of them, Behold the man! Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then they delivered him to the to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier soldier apart and also the tunic. The tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, He gave up 
is spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for coming on this wonderful Good Friday, as he mentioned, good for us, for what our Savior did. I want to share with you four truths quickly, because that's all I have is quickly. Promise to have you out of here at 3.30. And by the way, for those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. We have several. Four truths about Jesus' death from Luke 23, verses 44 through 49. The text says, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Some of you wonder why I said three o'clock. Darkness happened at 12 noon. The ninth hour would have been three o'clock, the time when our Lord gave up his life. There was about the sixth hour uh, darkness over the whole land until the ninth while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their breasts. There are a lot of things people may miss when they read this account. 
but don't miss that. They returned beating their breasts. And all of his acquaintances and all the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Scared Christians and trembling followers. Our king has died. Can you imagine the loss, the pain, the suffering? But let me share four truths about Christ's death that we sometimes miss. First of all, when Jesus died on the cross, heaven responded. Don't you dare think for one minute that God was silent. Heaven responded. How did he respond? How did the Trinity respond? Well, first of all, darkness filled the land. Darkness filled the land. Listen to what Jesus said just prior to his death. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. One of the significant things about darkness that most theologians believe is that when Jesus became the sin of the world and he bore our sin from 12 noon until 3... God the Father turned His face from His Son. Something that the Trinity had never experienced. A break in fellowship between Father and Son. And instead of there being fellowship, there was poured out on Jesus the wrath of Almighty God for the sin of the world. Your sin, your addiction, your shame, your sorrow poured on Him. And not just yours, but the sin for the whole world. He took it all. Darkness. The second thing that we see about heaven's response is that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. What is this curtain? We don't understand this today. Back in the days of the temple and the tabernacle, in between the holy court and the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, which represented God's presence, there was a huge thick veil put together, woven together, so that there would be a separation barrier between the holy place and the most holy place, so that God's presence and the radiance didn't just melt people. When Jesus died on the cross, the text says that the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. This is significant, by the way. It's symbolic. It's ripped from the top to the bottom. Not the bottom up, but the top to the bottom. Signifying that Almighty God Himself, God the Father, ripped the veil that separated man from God. And now, there was no more Jew, high priest, all of this. It was now everyone had access directly into God's presence. Listen to what the New Testament says. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Notice what else happened that Luke doesn't mention. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Listen, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Some people miss this, by the way. There's some confusion that goes on in Matthew's gospel, but this is the consensus. When Christ died on the cross and the veil was ripped, the graveyard where he died, Karen and I have been there, Golgotha, the place of the skull, the grave split open and stayed that way until Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, 
the text says, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were like Lazarus. They came forth. I mean, you can't deny this. If Sunset Cemetery splits open and dead people get up out of the grave and walk through the town, how can you say that they don't? And this is how heaven responded. Romans chapter 5 verse 2, talking about the significance of the veil. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, don't we? In the hope of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, for through him, through Christ, we both have access. The idea of the torn veil in one spirit directly to the Father. In Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access. Paul made a big deal out of this. When that temple veil was torn, it signified something major. Heaven responded to the death of Christ. Notice the second thing that happened, the second truth, and that is that Jesus controls the timing of his death. This is fascinating, by the way. The Romans didn't kill him. The Jews didn't kill him. Jesus gave up his own life. It was as if the Father were punishing him and pouring out his wrath on him. And when he said, it is finished, he gave up his spirit and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is enough. The Son paid enough People who doubt whether their sin has been paid for or whether they've done so much that they can't be forgiven. Ridiculous. The Son of God gave His life in darkness over the earth for three hours. When the, when the sin was satisfied, He said, it is finished. And He gave up His life. John chapter 10, Jesus' own words, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father... And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life, look, look closely, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own will, my own accord. I lay it down. Look at what he says next. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to do what? Take it up again. We're dealing with God here, folks. God. This charge I have received from my Father. Notice the third truth. Even a pagan proclaims Jesus' innocence and His deity. Verse 47, this centurion servant, when he saw what had happened, he began praising God. Do you remember last week when God's, Jesus said, they, they must cry out or the rocks will cry out. God even made a pagan soldier cry out and praise God at the death of Christ and say, this man was innocent and he was God, the centurion himself. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. 
And the fourth truth from Luke chapter 23 was that the crowd who were yelling, nail him, nail him, knew. They knew that they had done wrong. By the way, if you don't believe me, turn over to Acts chapter 2 and read the last part of chapter 2. 3,000 of these people who stood and watched the crucifixion of Christ heard the first sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And as he preached that sermon, 3,000 bowed the knee to Jesus who died on the cross. What a wonderful, wonderful testimony. Four truths that happened from Luke. One man said this, by the way, if you can't say something better than someone else, the best thing you can do is play it. So Patrick, if you don't mind, play Sunday's A-Coming. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross. Feeling forsaken by his father. Left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. 
death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. listen to that sermon this morning I listened to the rest of it Sunday came and our Savior rose but today is Friday and we celebrate what he did for us on the cross and we hope that you grab the cup we hope that you'll open that cup you have to pull the top layer off to take the wafer And Jesus gave his body, which he broke for us. And as we partake of the wafer, we think about what he gave on the cross for our sin. Let us partake. And then he shed his blood on the cross for our sin. May we partake. 